we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, ah, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuckaholics? What the fucksables? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Uh, it is nearing Christmas. I literally cannot look more than a, a few days ahead without freaking out, or, or maybe I'm just not paying attention. I have no idea what fucking day it is, other than I know the podcast is going up today. So it's it's Thursday, right? Kevin Pollack is on the show today. That is going to be a Jew-off. This will be a Jew-off. There is no doubt about it. Some of you like the Jew-offs. I, I have a feeling this will be a, a very big Jew-off. Kevin Pollack to me represents show business. I, I don't know why, but I think his love of show business that I get from him when I when I talk to him or when I've seen him, I just think he loves um being part of show business and, and there's some he is like the the he is the embodiment of all Jews from the beginning of show business. And I mean that in in a respectful and lovely way. We'll talk to Kevin Pollack. In just a few minutes, let's talk about this holiday season for a minute. Do I ever use that as a segue? I feel like that may be... The, hold on. <coughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. Hold on. Pow! I just coughed out a lung and shit my pants on the mic. Uh, all right, the Christmas cards, the Hanukkah cards are coming in. Uh, thank you. Thank you, friends. Thank you for sharing slightly awkward pictures of your families and babies and children with me. I appreciate that. Uh, I just got also a photo Christmas card from my father, who apparently is sporting a beard now, which makes me a little nervous. I, I think he looks good with the beard. He looks sort of like some kind of uh, you know, aggravated, bipolar Jewish cult leader. But he's doing that thing where he, sh- he seems to be shaving the top of the mustache. So it's just this weird line of uh, of hair along the top of his of his lip. I have to assume that my father must have been somewhere where he he was inspired by a fairly anal Latino man because I have not seen that particular type of beard, the finely manicured just upper lip of hair and then the the beard that's manicured around the neck that clearly implies that manicuring is going on. I, I don't know where he got it. I should call him and ask him what the inspiration for his weird upper lip hair that goes in like like two estuaries into the river of beard along his jaw but i appreciate the picture because i don't see him much and also i appreciate like i've been getting cards from people for years and i just watch their kids grow up on christmas cards i don't seem to have a relationship some of them i I don't really know at all but i'm on their list somehow and i get these you know just check-ins you you know and then you know every year you kind of like well like the numbers are still right Everybody seems to have made it another year. And this, of course, is another year where I don't send out picture Christmas cards or have children or I don't know. Is it inconsiderate? I've actually sent out a couple this year because I did that promotion uh, for that fella who makes the Christmas cards and he sent me a few. So those are going out. I'm going to be polite and do the right holiday thing, sending out a few Christmas cards. What about gifts? Do I buy gifts? I rarely buy gifts. I don't buy gifts. I have nephews and nieces that I don't see often. I should get them all a gift. I don't. I don't get my brother a gift. I don't get my parents a gift. I usually get whoever is in my life most directly. That means in my house, I will get them some gifts. 
And then I will worry about those gifts. And I'll try not to wait till the last minute to get those gifts. And I'll try to make them unique and interesting. But we all know the feeling of giving a gift that is rejected or clearly not the gift that they had in mind and how much that hurts the heart and the soul and creates the assumption that, man, maybe I don't really know you. I thought you would like this. Can't you even fucking pretend that you like this even for a few minutes? The problem is if you're living with somebody or you're involved with somebody, there's no way that they can secretly return a gift. If you're giving it to somebody at work or somebody you kind of know, then you're like, hey, if you don't like it, take it back. And you can say that to the person you love or that is in your life. Hey, if you don't like it, we'll take it back. But when they're like, yeah, I think I might exchange this. For what? The same thing in a different size? No, for something completely different. You clearly don't understand anything about me or what my tastes are. How have we lasted this long? Maybe I'll just return it for a cash back and get the fuck out of here. That's a little dramatic. Go with jewelry. Subtle jewelry. But I don't know. That's a big commitment. I don't know. Look, something happened to me last night. And I'm going to admit it to you. It's hard for me to admit, but I think you should know that this happened because something is happening in my heart. Patton Oswalt and I are, are friends. We are, He's, he, he, but we've been, you know, I've been competitive with him. I've resented him. I've been jealous of him. I, you, I go through this with people. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm embarrassed about it, but I have some problem with, uh, with not being completely self-involved. I think you understand that. But because of this podcast and because of uh, uh, of the work I'm doing with you, I uh, something's happening. And I don't know quite how to handle the feelings, which is, which, which is interesting. I received a screener of a uh, young adult. Now, obviously, when I saw the coming attractions and I saw Patton, I thought like, wow, he's got a big part in this. And then there was the, the moment of jealousy, not unusual. Like, wow, he, he's really, okay, fucking Patton's doing good, you know? What, but there is a disconnect between that statement and me going, good for him. I generally look at myself, but it didn't really, it wasn't as bad this time. I saw him on The Coming Attraction, and he looked like he was doing pretty good in the movie in The Coming Attraction, and I like Charlize Theron a lot. I don't have as big a problem with Diablo Cody as some people do. I like uh, Reitman's kid, the director, I forget his first name. I think he's done, he's good. He's got a style. I liked Up in the Air a lot. I, I, I think he's a good director. Jason Reitman, is it? So I get this screener. I sit down and watch it last night. And Patton comes on the screen and he's doing great. And I literally got choked up. I mean, it's an emotional movie. It's a sad movie. It deals with sad people in a very relatively honest way. It's a relentless movie, but it's charming. And it's it's a really good movie. And Patton acted the shit out of it. He did great. And he would come on and I would find myself laughing in that weird kind of proud, emotional way that people laugh when they actually feel happy for somebody. And also they are entertained at the same time. I mean, knowing somebody that's in a, a TV show or a movie, it's, it's a bit tricky because a lot of times I can tell when people are self-conscious or when they're not quite present in the role because I know them. Uh, it happens, and, and a lot of people don't see it. I've seen people evolve, uh, people that I know evolve into good actors, into good stand-ups. But I, many times during this movie, not only because of the emotional content of the film and that I'm, I'm really pretty much a softie, I found myself, as they say in Yiddish, kfelling, 
because of, of what a good job Patton Oswalt did. <laughs> and it's hard for me to admit that, but he was just great. And I want to congratulate him publicly. Why am I choked up now? I mean, it's ridiculous that I am so unable, that I am that self-involved, that I can't experience um, not only joy from someone I know and likes work, but because like I feel somehow here, here I this is what the muscle is inside of me that's wrong, is that for so long, because of my uh, whatever self-centeredness, narcissism, narcissism, whatever, everyone else's success I really looked at as some sort of indication that I was failing. And I think because of this show and because I've moved through some emotional problems, I feel okay with myself. And now this whole feeling of, of pride or, or, or a feeling of, of enjoying my, uh, my peers work is, is sort of new and my body doesn't really know what to do with it. My, and like, I just start kind of getting, I kind of get teary when I am impressed with somebody who I know it moves me. It's a, it's a big breakthrough. And, and I think part of those, those, those almost tears or, or a couple of tears are about like, wow, this isn't about me. And, and it's, it's really good. I, I, I feel like I've made a tremendous amount of progress. Now, if I can just kick this Twitter addiction, I think we're going to be good. That's going to be available in rehabs. This compulsive addiction to Twitter, to checking in with your email, this, this need for connectivity to be received, acknowledged, seen, this weird global community of immediate gratification of fairly shallow needs that should have been gratified when we were seven or eight, maybe five years old. Get up, bang, good one, bang, good one, bang, fuck that guy, bang, don't engage, fuck you, I'm engaging, bang, oh, that was a good one, oh, see, I won that one, oh, really, is that true, maybe I should retweet that, it, oh, shit, shit, it is definitely changing endorphins, which would mean that it is, you know, effectively a drug, someone forwarded me a link to this the National Transportation Safety Board uh, is going to try to limit the use of portable electronic devices for anything. Um, that means no more talking or tweeting or texting in the car. God, I, I hope they do. And I hope it stops me. It's dangerous and stupid. And this is not fascism. I mean, I've often wondered what the numbers are and the numbers must be in. There are numbers of people that were killed or hurt other people or got into an accident just because they had to say, just because they had a text, I'll be home in nine minutes. I love you too. Fuck you. LOL. Lives are lost. Let's talk to Kevin Pollack. Wait, before I forget, I wanted to reach out to my New England fans and people who are interested in what I do. I am going to be appearing at the Magners Comedy Festival in Boston at the Wilbur Theater on January 27th. We're doing an early show, which is me doing stand-up. I believe that's an 8 o'clock show. Maybe Doors at 7 or something, somewhere in that area. And then after that, I believe at 10 o'clock, a WTF, a live WTF. So far, I've got Kenny Rogerson, Tony V, Mike Donovan slotted. Uh, more guests will be forthcoming. 
That's the Magners Comedy Festival, January 27th in Boston at the Wilbur Theater. You can go to thewilburtheater.com for tickets. Man, I'm glad I remembered that. I lived in San Francisco in 92. And the, you were there I was moved just, out in '83, right? There was just evidence of you uh, in pictures. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there should be only, yeah, yeah, by the, the way, photographic you, evidence. You've of left me. pictures. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love uh, going to the punchliner to anywhere in San Francisco where there are pictures, <laughs> because when I started in when I started working '89, '88, I moved there in '92. You, you get to go into the dressing room and go like, "Oh my God, these yeah. people were young once." <laughs> yes, <Look. laughs> we weren't all born like Burgess <laughs> Meredith, looking sixty-two out of the womb. But you did you grow up there? I did. I grew up. Uh, I was born in the city. Uh, family moved to the promise of the suburbs of San Jose, an hour south, oh, yeah. when I was quite young and mm. before I had a vote. Yeah. And then I moved back to the city the moment I could, which was about twenty years old. Can we be honest? Can I Jew it up for a second? Please. Jews, Jews in San Francisco. What? Diddle, 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 hook. Yeah, but you're like New York style. You're not San Francisco style. Everyone thinks I'm from New York. I don't know no, why. Because it's you, an attitude thing. It's got to be. Uh, me attitude. too. Yeah. yeah, it is an attitude thing. But you, what? Your parents from the East Coast? Nope. Seriously, yep. Why? Why both, did, both born in California? But did you get did you get that sort of you know middle class Jewy upbringing in San Francisco? Because I never could mm-hmm. find the Jews seem to be undercover there. I, I had a, a suburban Jewy uh, upbringing, very suburban. Uh, I bar, would say bar mitzvah. Sure, maybe a, you know you had the, a nice band at the, your bar the, mitzvah. The party. temple was uh, a place for social gathering. Always, not a higher learning. Right. Yeah. Of course. Well, that's because we couldn't take it seriously. It was no. a different language, and, no, and no. just learning the language was too difficult. It was a place to hone your comedic skills. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and how to learn uh, not to... Uh, marry a Jew? Marry a Jew. <laughs> that's where I was going, and thank you. <laughs> was it? I guess Nostradamus said it first, but thank you for being right there with me. I'm going to get mail. <laughs> What well, do you have against why else, Jewish? Why else are you doing this if not to get mail? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I I did marry a Jew. Do you never have been with a Jewish girl? Or? Uh, I was with a Jewish girl when I was twelve, and never again. Really? Yep. And the bar mitzvah turned anything around? All of a sudden, mm, you were hot to the other side. I think I brought a uh, lovely Spanish girl to my bar mitzvah. Did you? I think that's very nice. Maybe not. And she it, was she was uh, something in the neighborhood. And how uh, how did your how did your parents handle that? Did you get any pressure about that? No, 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 no. They don't even painfully care. liberal. Yeah, upbringing. Yeah, sure. And everyone's still alive. I uh, lost dad maybe ten years ago. Mom just flew her out for her eightieth. Really? Some kind of shindig. Yeah, went down. Is she? Uh, you know, got all her marbles. She, yeah, she has all of her marbles, but she's still uh, uh, crazy. Party of one. You know, yeah. in that mom's crazy kind of way. Not... Which which type of crazy Jewish mom did you have? Uh, harmless, oh. harmless. Oh, really? Yeah. Overprotective center or annoying? Of the, center of the oh. sun. Yeah. Uh, universe, yeah. rather. Sure. Where mere planets revolving of around her. Of course, yeah. Um, passive aggressive in those needs. <laughs> um, but uh, uber supportive from day one without being pushy. When did you start doing stand-up? Ten. At ten? Yeah. Well, that, is, is that really a thing? I'm not in clubs. No, but I mean, but I mean, is that for real? Like in you, you said, of... I'm doing stand up now. Well, I'm ten years old. The story goes. Please sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Why must I be the only one standing? <laughs> uh, I was lip syncing Bill Cosby's first album, specifically his Noah and the Ark routine, sure. for my own entertainment right. at home. Right, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, literally, 
Uh, my mom brought home the album, put it on the stereo hi-fi. Let's let's compare that piece of furniture to the Nano, shall yeah, we? Sure. Six feet and one inch. A console. Mm-hmm. Had it the whole thing. Piece of Did furniture. Did anything fold out? Were there six feet wide? Yeah. Yeah, lifting sure. up, yeah. coming out. Yeah, yeah. Sure, it was. It was all one. And it was that was just the record player. Yep, that's <laughs> yeah. all it did. Yeah, of course. All it did. The speakers were built in. Mm-hmm. The thing pulled out, right. and maybe there was a shelf for ten records. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, it was just. I wish. Oh God, what I would do for what to have it now. You can have just one. to set it on fire. We, we can no. get you one. So we go my, to Goodwill right now <laughs> in my neighborhood. Uh, so my mom brought this record home. Yeah. And uh, I saw my parents laughing uncontrollably for the first time. And it was as unnerving as if they were open, openly weeping. Right. That's how freaky this Yeah, because all of a sudden was. they're humans. Yeah. They're not behaving properly. Weird. Yeah. And then instantly somewhere in my brain it said, I want to be the cause of that. Mm. Not in a sentence. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't even aware of it till many years later. So as soon as no one was in the house i would put the record on and play it for myself ah. until i memorized it and there were no interactive games because this was the 40s so i would stand in front of this uh, this hi-fi uh and do something that i didn't know existed as a thing yeah to me it was just playing yeah i was lip-syncing right no one had showed me what lip-syncing was i thought i invented it so you played the record played the record stood in front of it i was the guy talking and okay. i i did the hand gestures as if i were the guy telling the story but you'd never seen cosby just a photo on the album oh it could yeah so you didn't do it in blackface well that's not important yeah uh <laughs> I mean, it's a detail <laughs> that I'd rather not. But why sully the memory? Uh, yeah, or the story. Maybe once, right? Um, so uh, I, I, my mom caught me doing this one mm-hmm. time. She came home from from whatever early, and I was horrified, as if she caught me masturbating. That's yeah, how that freaked later, out I right? was. Later that happened. Oh no! But she did actually almost catch me losing my virginity in my bedroom uh, in high school. Again, you know, we think we have these times figured out sure. when no one's going to be around, be it for masturbation or in this case, losing my virginity. Yeah. And uh, there I am, uh, maybe three seconds in, front door opens, mom's foot, which you know, her footsteps down the hall. Three seconds in. I am so out you- of this vagina so fast and my hand on the door, right as mom's hand grabs the other side of it to turn it. Literally. That's how fast she bolted right to my door, which no one knows why. So she uh, knew something. I, I Did she know the girl? A mother's smell? I don't know what the hell. She, how she Did knew? She know the girl instantly. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, the girl. So I, they feel it coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you finish? Um, I uh, uh, yes. I said uh, in here. Right. And um, she said one of those mom single word responses yeah. that says everything. Yeah. Oh. And then that was the end of it. But did you finish? Did you? Did you come? Well, I went back to business. Yeah. Uh, but it was a little... Julie was a little freaked out. Sure. That mom was in the house. Yeah. It wasn't comfortable for her. No. So I knocked her out. You yeah. know, what choice did I have? That, just I, so I could finish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if you can't stand this awake, yeah. you're going out. So I thought that, you know, see, I thought the joke was that, uh, you know, you're in her three seconds, and I, your mom knocks, you hear your mother open the door, but thankfully you had just gotten done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it was over already. Actually, I went back and that's what happened. I went back and she said, oh no, you're done. <laughs> you, you did. You finished already. You're in the thing. 
So, uh, so yeah. So no, we had to rearrange the finish. Yeah, at another time. Oh, oh really? That's absolutely. Major, well, mom's in the house. Yeah, maternal. Yeah. Uh, I uh, interruptus. I don't think I was uh, erect again for days. Yeah, yeah. no, because the association. How do you shake that? It's probably deep in there you, now. You probably haven't shaken. You it. do shake it. You do. You keep shaking. You get until <laughs> something happens yeah. again. Uh huh. That's what you do. Well, I think there's more pride in being caught fucking than mm-hmm. there is being caught jerking off. Uh yes. Because at least you can blame someone else. Yeah. You just. Oh, no, it was a moment. It was a, definitely a point of pride for a while. You know, uh, it was an announcement. I'm doing this now. I, I like that. Uh, it used to be just me. Now, not so much. Got the T-shirt printed. Someone just got laid. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I'm a stupid arrow pointing down to my dick. Um, <laughs> so, so then I did that act, the Bill Cosby album, in front of the school. First, my mom saw me do it and said, you have to do this at Passover at the Zuckers, our closest relatives. Oh, that's and a- then that led to... By the way, the answer was instant yes. I mean, after I got over the humiliation of being caught, because I was just a natural-born ham. It was absurd. That's interesting, because I always had nerves around that stuff. The the, the, the idea of, like, uh, even now, if, you were, if I were to say, uh, to picture myself 10, 11 years old, mm. and the Seder's just ended, people are having their coffee, and well, some Jew says... All right, everybody, let's go in the living room. Kevin's going to do this uh, comedy routine. Uh Is that what happened? Yeah, well, first of all, the four questions had been asked. I just felt like I got scared thinking that. Yeah. All right, so Four questions had been asked. Right. We'd found the matzah. Payments had been made. Did you find the matzah? I don't think so. okay. I think I had other things to think about. Did you open with that? So (laughs) how about this bullshit where I didn't get the matzah? Improvising nothing? No, there was no talking. I lip-synced Cosby's act. I did this act for six years without talking. (laughs) I never said a word. I like that when you said talking, you went into your Cosby. (laughs) You see, I talked later when the play was at the doogie. Yeah. So uh, there was no talking Yeah, uh, for six years. Well, I did this in front of uh, school, probably six, 700 students. So when I say I was a comedian at 10, that's actually what I'm referring to, that I eventually got up in front of six, 700 people, put the album went on, and I did the act, and I killed. I mean, the precocious 10-year-old you Jewish kid. in front of. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was the that's act. An interesting choice. Well, it was the only one I knew. But you never thought to just do it? never crossed my mind (laughs) first of all the brilliant writing had been done yeah the genius performance had been done yeah i only needed to do this act that i could bring to it which was a 10 year old precocious jewish face yeah body hands uh dancing around while this brilliant comedian killed yeah i mean well, I didn't realize at the time I was learning timing from a Jedi Master. I was just aping this thing, and and everyone thought it was crazy. Do you, th- you hilarious. think it, it did? You you attribute that to no question? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, because if Be- you if you listen to those early albums, right? There's a there's yes. a rhythm. Oh no, I know. Yeah, that is so specific. I'm, I'm odd in that I recently, hmm. really, really just recently, sat down and and took Cosby in. In a way that uh, that I never had. Like I, I, I always liked him. I have his records, right. uh, but I never. He was never in my pantheon of of influences or, or people that I, I personally sure. connected with sure. as great. And I it, it changed. It blew my mind. Mm. Like it changed my comedy recently. 
Well, what I found with him more than anyone, because I studied the stand-ups on The Tonight Show. I collected them like baseball cards. They were more interesting to me than any sports did you read? Did you read my favorite jokes in Parade Magazine? Did you yeah. ever remember that? Sure. How come I never... No, you do remember it? I remember reading it. Yeah, it was in the last page, mm-hmm. and it, had, it was that era in the 70s, mm-hmm. and it was those guys. Yeah. So you studied them. When were you aware that this was the, uh, the future for you? Around that time, when I was 11? getting on stage in front of people at 11 and, and killing, albeit with somebody else's act, uh, there was no option from that moment forward ever. So by the time I'm a senior in high school, the fact that I'm going to get class clown in the yearbook is beyond slam dunk. It's now remember me when everybody is signing my yearbook saying, you know, send me a check when you, when you get to show business. Yeah. So when did you actually, uh, did you go to college? I graduated from San Jose State University uh, in nine months. Uh, <laughs> my that? friends called it dropping out, but uh, you said, to me, everything I, I graduated <laughs> from that portion of, of education. And then you started doing stand-up? Yeah. I was already doing stand-up uh, in the summer before graduating high school and starting college. Well, that 18, was my 19? first actual gig in a nightclub. How old? 18. Really? Yeah. What nightclub? Uh, it was called uh, The Garrett in Campbell, California. I opened up for a local musical act, Joe Sherino. I ha- this is the worst experience ever auditioning. Worse than anything I would later face as a struggling actor uh, before I became an international film star. Uh, I had to go to Joe Sherino's house, and while he sat on his couch in his living room, <laughs> just him, yeah. do my act. Did you put on the Cosby record? <laughs> I wish. That would have been awesome. Hold on a minute. Do you have a record player? <laughs> um, you know what's funny? I don't know if you remember the Circle Star Theater. No. In uh, in San Carlos, between San Francisco and San Jose. I only lived there for two years. I don't have a sense of the... It was, um, it was a theater in the round... A kind of thing. I saw Sammy Davis Jr. there. There's a, a classic story from my crazy youth when I went to see Rich Little there, and I was dressed as Columbo, and I went down to his stage and interrupted his act, and he ended up bringing me on stage. That's a pretty ridiculous story at 17 when you just have balls. All right, well, let's and back up else. and go to that story. So you <laughs> yeah. started doing impressions quickly. Yeah, yeah. I started around this. I start. I did that act, the Cosby album, from 10 to 16, probably. And around 16, I'm de- developing. Oh yeah, six years. You better believe it. But you say you did next, but I mean, how much of that was in front of people? I mean, how much traction can you get by putting a record on? Maybe two, three times a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were known for that. I wasn't wasn't doing the road yet. Bar mitzvah. Did you do it at your bar mitzvah? (laughs) Uh, No, but I did. I am quoted uh, incorrectly Mm. on the interwebs as opening my speech portion of my bar mitzvah by saying a funny thing happened on the way to the temple. Yeah. I didn't, in fact, say that. You said, uh, fuck you, people. <laughs> yeah, I said, where are the checks? <laughs> I got a car to buy. Where are the checks? In two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. I um, I did that act, and then I started doing impressions, I guess, when I was 16, 17 in, in school, and j- they just came instantly. I, don't, I went from silent act to Mr. Ear, uh, I can do anyone's voice kind of thing. Just, I don't know, it was one of those bizarro things. What was the first one, Columbo? Um First famous person was probably Marlon Brando and Nixon. David Fry's Nixon album was pretty huge, so I did Nixon. But my football, not my, but the football coach at the high school, because I didn't, of course, play, we Jews tend to sell the concessions at the games. Uh, I would do the football high school uh, coach guy, and uh, 
I remember one day in the quad where the kids hung out, mm. I was doing uh, the impression of the coach, and someone up, someone came up from behind me, got me in a headlock, and it was one of those headlocks where you instantly know I'm going to pass out in the sure. next few seconds. Yeah. And before I passed out, I heard the whisper in my ear uh, from the assailant, I heard about it, and I don't think it's funny. It was the coach. Uh-huh. And out I went. And I thought, I could probably do Marlon Brando and get away with it. <laughs> He's not going to get me in a headlock. No, he can't even get him out of his house at that point. <laughs> he might. He wouldn't even show up at the Oscars. Unless you were he safe. could eat me. Yeah. <laughs> Those chances are I'm fine. <laughs> was, he, was he even fat yet? Uh, no. So, so I started Marlon Brando and then Peter Falls. Well, let me ask you a question about impressions. Mm. Uh, because I've not talked to an impressionist. And All you right. are uh, uh, an impressionist. Let's just say it. You're known to be that. Mm. But you do stand up as well. Yes, sir. I'm not making a separation, of course. I actually yeah. torture the audience now by opening with at least 20 minutes of my stand up before I get to an impression. Before you do Columbo Even for a half before hour? Before I start dan- <laughs> dancing for the white man. Yeah. <laughs> before I start pandering. With How do you. Chris- I do 20 minutes of Christopher Walken <laughs> after the 20 minutes of stand up talking about politics and religion. How do you set up Columbo at this point? How do I set yeah, up? Yeah. Who remembers? There's a memorial. <laughs> Uh, no, there's a memoriam uh, for me, a passage of time that mm. I, I stop doing someone when they pass away. Is that true? I, it is. For, uh, policy? For, for probably six months. It's a personal policy. I've not uh, written it up or- So you'll, 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 you'll sit Shiva as an impressionist for well, six months? First of not all- Not even a full year. No, no, not oh, a full year. Uh-huh. I understand, having done the voices all these years, yeah. that I'm in fact stealing the love that people have for the actual person. <laughs> I, I, I'm well aware why the act works, but, right? Well, it's the recreation that's uh, accurate. They're impressed with your skill of portraying someone that they all know. So once you're in it, the yeah. familiarity of that guy, you like, it's got nothing to do with you. You're a nope. vessel. Yeah. You're, you're a needy vessel. I'm, I'm, I'm brilliantly <laughs> reminding them who the person is. <laughs> and that's it. It's no different than juggling no, or magic. Don't under. No, no, no. I am. I am. In fact, sibling a, uh, a. You're comfortable with what you just said. Yeah. No, I don't think that it's, it's a bag of tricks. It's absolutely a bag of tricks. It's a skill, but not one that I worked hard at. I've never studied audio or videotape. No, but of okay. So that's my question: is yeah. that? But it, but it is interesting that you started your career literally standing in front of a record player, stealing yeah. love, yeah. and not even doing anything, and, and making up your own movements on yes. top of you. It's not even an impression there. You're just sort yeah. of like, look at me yeah. doing this. Yeah. But Which, I, by the way, that yeah. led to me doing Lenny Bruce at Carnegie Hall as part of the 120th anniversary that James Taylor produced back in April. Let's talk about that next. You actually did an impression. No, yeah, I did. I was asked specifically to do to recreate... You know, Lenny had a famous midnight show there. It's great. Yeah, he uh, he he got his plane was delayed, right? A uh, big snowstorm, snowstorm. Uh, and they waited. Yeah, and, that's a, yeah. But also, what part that I forgot about three weeks after the Kennedy assassination, Did, and he opened with uh, Lost Wages. I think, Von right? Meter is fucked. Oh yeah, yeah, that one. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and didn't he? Did he do Lost Wages? Like the the hat comic? Like yeah. you know, I just got back from Lost Wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do impressions, but that's what I wanted to ask you. And then we'll get into that. Is that like I can do impressions sometimes for a few seconds? Sure. But I I feel that in order to do it, I have to completely detach from any self consciousness. Yes. Is it just a vocal? Are you deliberate in that? I just have this skill that uh, I can you know get intonations and then I just sort of build from there. Or do you have to kind of evacuate yourself? I do evacuate Not shit your pants. But, I, you know. I evacuate shit in my pants and then I it's a bit of a possession. 
Right. When I do Albert Brooks, I think faster and funnier while doing him than I do in my own thoughts. That's a fact. Can you answer me as Albert Brooks, why won't you do my show? Well, it's simple, Mark. I'll be honest with you. I've seen, uh, listen, I did Corolla because somebody put a gun to my head. The, uh, the, 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 uh, what is it? The house, the book house, yeah. the publisher, that's sure. what it is. Uh-huh. They, uh, they said, we've launched three authors on Adam's show. And I said, really? I have a question for you, though, Mark. Yes. What's a nerdist? And it's, uh, it's Chris Hardwick. It's this is what nerd. he said to me on the phone, by the way. When I asked him on the phone why he wasn't he didn't doing, come into the studio? Why oh, he, he wasn't doing doing my show we finally talked about it on the phone because i i was harassing him also on twitter so you did it on the on the air with him no we just had a private is phone it, call is it my it's my belief that he uh there there are certain people i don't know if you run into this as well as guests that you know don't necessarily want to be asked questions that they that they want to keep their private life private uh, and i respect that it's more than private life it's yeah. just, and he, he said, uh, you know, I, it, this may fly in the face of common uh, opinion, but I don't actually like to talk about myself. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty astute. Um, so you do have to sort of like embody them in a minute. Yes. Well, but, the, but it is literally, they take over. When I, I started recently improvising uh, Christopher Walken in the act, instead of just telling stories about how I met him. Right. You know, I was never one of those guys who was ever comfortable saying, what if Jack Nicholson were a waiter and might go something like this? I never, that felt hackneyed to me when I was 16. I was already hip enough from watching stand-ups on Carson to know that's never going to happen. So I would create scenarios for them that um, made sense or that were stories as opposed to uh, changing their profession. How many can you get going at once in conversation? I used my first uh, HBO special. uh, Which I saw recently. Uh, the first one, really? It was either that or it was like... Um, I did the first one-night stand. The right, first that's what I saw. first group of one-night stands. I saw that. Okay, so then you did... I don't know if you, if you lasted long enough to uh, my closer. I watched the whole thing. Really? Remind me of it, yeah. Oh, well, it was the Star Trek bit where Shatner is right. Shatner and, right. and all the other characters on the Enterprise are famous people. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah, So that yeah, would yeah. be an example of my act uh, as opposed to just changing their profession. I would right. say, uh, Captain's Log, start eight five seven. 682. Uh, since passing through a cosmic cloud, something strange has happened. My crew has changed. Their faces are the same, but the personalities, their personalities have altered. I'm concerned, <laughs> Captain Out. And then he would call up Spock, and Spock would be Reverend Jim from Taxi. Okay, right. And then I go down to Scotty in the engine room, and it's drunken Dudley Moore. Um, so that's what I always did in terms of a big thing, right? And then recently I. St- I over the years, I realized I've now met these people. This is crazy. Right. I should tell those stories. People want to know life. Right. So, because the other part of my act, when I would torture them now in the first part of the act, it is my life and, and my view on things, uh, politics, religion, whatever. So, I realized, I, I met Christopher Walken. This is a great story. So, now it's these firsthand anecdotes for the most part. And then the other a couple of weeks ago, I started improvising yeah. another truth part which is when I do these people, I get lost sometimes when I'm in my own thoughts. When right. I, well, so if I wake up in the morning, I, I like yourself, I have a cat. In, in this case, I have one of the black and white cats. Uh, yeah. Uh, her name is Edie. Yeah. So I will often open the refrigerator in the first thing in the morning and say, oh my, we're out of soy milk. This is tragic. I wasn't planning a trip to the market today, but clearly... 
a drive to Trader Joe's is in my future. Oh, I hope he's there one time so that I might say, hi, Joe, what's with the green fucking bananas? Why must my groceries ripen on my counter? Here's a suggestion, Joe, from the heart. How about you grow your shit before you sell it? Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan. Your supply of nuts is insane. I didn't know so many nuts were available in mankind. What do you got, monkeys coming by? I can't even look at you when I'm doing that. <laughs> so anyways, I will improvise until the cat passes out is the story. But I find when I think like these people, I can go anywhere. Right. And I thought, we'll start doing that in the act after 25 fucking years, you idiot. Well, the knack for it, the actual doing impressions, you know, because I occasionally can, like, I can do, like, I can do my friends. I can do Louis yeah. C.K. eating, but yeah. I can't, you know, I, I can do, like, uh, I can do maybe a three seconds of Dustin Hoffman occasionally sure. from The Graduate because that's just a nasal thing. Well, there's, I, a, there's a game that Alan Arkin uh, and his son Tony play called One Word Impressions. I love Alan Arkin. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, okay, how does that go? Well, first of all, let me tell you, if you want to interview Alan Arkin, we can do that as well. Yeah. I, uh, is there I, uh, a, would you be in my pilot if I if I would I, love to be in your pilot um and by that I hope I know what you're saying <laughs> um so so he and his son Tony play uh, one word impressions and you 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 do an impersonation of someone you can only use one word and it can't be a word that they're famous for saying hmm example that I gave was uh you have you don't say who the person is you just do the word yeah and then you know so here's mine lingerie Tell me, Clinton. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was you got it. And then the one word impression when you said Dustin Hoffman, I remember uh, a friend. Um, I don't know how many names I should drop in your show. Uh, I've already dropped seventeen. Uh, would do uh, Dustin Hoffman by just saying why. Why. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, one yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how that can happen. So okay, so. All right, so that so it's not a knack for intonation. It's actually you embody that. And if you I, want and me I to that. really uh, clinically boil it down, we all, every human begins speaking by mimicking sounds. Right. And some of us, it does that ability doesn't diminish. It actually gets stronger for no explainable reason. So let's talk about, because I want to get to the Lenny Bruce thing that you mentioned, because a lot of people, you know, if you really listen to Lenny Bruce or put him into perspective, I mean, he was an amazing mimic. He did impressions. Yeah, yeah. He sort of created this element, like in Cosby did as well, this idea of peopling the stage, that yes. you could have a scene with uh, three or four characters. And there's a few kind of manic bits of Lenny's where he did like five or six characters. Like I remember there's an old movie thing he used to yeah. do. I can't remember what the bit was, and I didn't know any of the people in it, but there was definitely five or six people in there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, getting back to this, this, I imagine to be a cathartic moment, uh, the Rich Little Show. Now, you... When you knew you were going to be Impressionist, was he your guy? Well, I started out in late 70s, the same time as Dana Carvey in San Francisco. And we talk about it to this day, how when you learn impersonations that are already being done by uh, famous people. Right. Be it Frank Gorshin, Rich Little, David Fry. You yeah. do kind of their version. Right. So we did David Fry's Nixon. And we did Rich Little's Carson. And you were aware of that. Yeah. And then you eventually, and Dana became a master at this, of course. You find a hook that makes it yours. Like Jay Moore was the first guy that ever did Christopher Walken. He did him on SNL. Yeah. A great bit, the Psychic Friends Network. Right. And he's sitting on the couch waiting for the call. And so he was the first guy that did it. And then 
you know, I was messing around at a casting session uh, with the guy that wrote uh, The Usual Suspects. We were producing this thing. And if you're on the other end of uh, auditioning, it, it, you know, you're waiting for the next person to come in. You have to break up the monotony. And so we would entertain each other by doing Bob Hope and Christopher Walken taking over for Regis and Kathy Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say my really awful Bob Hope, I'd say, hey, hey, Chris, who have I got coming on a show tomorrow? And then he would do Christopher Walken discussing the guest list. And so we both started messing around with Christopher Walken. And then we ran into Jay Moore on the lot. Uh, This is at the Brothers Warner, I believe. And cornered him and said, what's the secret? Because we were just like kids. Yeah. And he said, uh, every single syllable word becomes a two-syllable word. And that's the key. So there's always some kind of key that opens the thing. So the word no, when doing Christopher Walken, is now. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah and so it's always there's always something right and it I'm, is like magic yeah i'm yeah. it is i remember you uh being on the phone with dana when he was doing the snl one week we would talk every now and then and yeah. he said i gotta do ross perot this week and i said how are you gonna do that because no one had ever done it and he said i don't know they gave me some tape of him on larry king yeah uh he's kind of a lunatic and you can his analogies are ridiculous so I don't know. And then throughout the course of this hour phone call, we both started spritzing. And, and by the end of it, we both had a flawless Ross Pro. And then I said, well, this fucking sucks. You're going to become famous Saturday instantly on SNL for doing Ross Perot. And then I'm going to do it in my act next week. And I'm going to be that dick that's doing Dana Carvey. Right. So you can't really own an impression, but they do get attached to people. Like me and Shatner, maybe. I have right. people telling me right. yours is the thing. And, and blah, Columbo blah, blah. was big for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Well, he, he was the start of it all, for sure. In fact, that's how I got on the, not how, but it's the reason I got on the Tonight Show. I only knew one other guy that really did Columbo. And I don't know what happened to that guy. <laughs> well, there you go. Roger Cabler. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah. I mean, he kind of looked like him, and yes. that was like he did a lot of Columbo. Well, we, I can't and, remember him doing any other impressions. And we ran into each other, and it was not a comfortable uh, really? exchange. Did you, did you go at it? Did well, you no. No, but I sensed there was, uh, there was something wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's, all I can, that's all I really remember. It's like, it used to be ago. his headshot, if I'm not mistaken, that he, he might have one of those composite headshots. Wow, you're good. That was indeed it. It was, right? You are good. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I my first time on the Tonight Show, I orchestrated it so that uh, I would go right to the couch. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you remember coming to town, people telling you about Jim McCauley and what it meant sure. to be circled, and that he was the guy who booked comics on the Tonight Show, and that he Johnny's Tonight Show. Yes, Johnny's yeah. Tonight Show, and uh, uh, he would circle the acts, Jim McCauley, because you had to have two shots ready, two six minute shots ready in your act, because if you he brought you and you killed with one, and Johnny said, "All right, I want that kid back in six weeks," and you and you, you were weren't ready. ready. Yeah. Then Carson would rip off Macaulay's head and shit down his neck. It's really about It'd him. It'd be his right. Yeah. So he was very, very aware, and he would work with comics on their act if he thought they were ready. So he circled and circled and circled. And again, I've been watching comics on Johnny's Tonight Show since I'm ten. So Who were your guys that I watch on the show and love? No, that like yeah. Um, as a kid, uh, definitely Pryor and George Carlin, and and then eventually Shanling and and you know guys who were maybe more my peers. None of the old timers. Well, initially when I'm ten, Alan King for sure, and really? Rickles, but yeah, I, yeah, because um, a, a Cosby for sure was the big one, right? And then 
Um, as I got older, 16, 17, it became Pryor and George Carlin and those guys. What's Ro- interesting, Robert Klein. You, you got to work with Alan King in uh, Casino. And Rickles. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, okay, so okay, so back to uh, doing panel on The Tonight Show. So, so when Macaulay finally taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, and, you know, I'd seen him around the improv where I worked on Melrose when I first came to town. It was the improv at Comedy Store. You kind of had to choose. And I went with the improv because that was where all the comics I knew who came through San Francisco and, was and said when you come to town. Yeah, it didn't feel like the cocaine-ridden uh, catacombs yeah. of the yeah. comedy store. Yeah. So um, uh, Macaulay's circling, hey, Jim, how's it going? You know, I'd seen him around. I'd been with other guys when they went to do their shot, Seinfeld, Shandling. Yeah. You know, people would always bring a couple of comics just to kind of get through it. You sure, know? yeah, hang out. So, I, you know, I knew him well enough. So mm-hmm. I thought we were just saying hi. And then he yeah. said, you're ready for the show. And yeah. I said- seriously and he said yeah and i said all right uh you got to bear with me a minute here because i've i've been waiting for this since i'm 10 but now there's when i was 10 there were a couple of handful of comedians that could get on the tonight show and do stand-up and i collected them like baseball cards now there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds the whole experience of standing on the star doing your six minutes and getting an okay sign from johnny uh, while amazing and uh, brilliant and and grateful for you to ask is now not the dream. Now the dream is to sit next to the king on the couch, do my Peter Falk, and watch him piss himself laughing. <clears throat> That's the fantasy. Yeah. I said I know the protocol. I've been a fan of the show forever. I, I'm I'm barely in show business, but enough to know the protocol that you can't bring me to the couch. So I'm willing to wait if you, if it's possible till I have a movie or a TV show where you can bring me to the couch because I know I'll have an impact if I sit next to Johnny. And do- you actually in I'm that 26 moment, years old. you're 26 years old. You've been offered a Tonight Show spot and you're negotiating to get on the couch. It's the craziest thing I've ever done in my life, by far. Uh, and, and and I said to him, look, I make and he's looking at me as if I just landed from another planet. And I said, look. I understand how ridiculous and absurd this is, and I may call you back six hours from now and beg for this opportunity back, so please understand, I'm not being disrespectful. <laughs> I'm just trying to launch the best possible career here, and I think I'm going to have a greater impact for my career from that couch in the king's presence. I don't think I'm going to have much of an impact on the stuff. It's amazing that you were uh, aware enough to know that you were launching a career. I mean, when I was 26, <laughs> I was like, you know, can I say fuck? And if I can't, <laughs> why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. No, are you kidding? From 10, dude, it, it was, I just, I could not design this thing more in my fantasy yeah. of where I wanted this all to go. It didn't go there. It went horribly misdirected at times. Like, well, we'll get into that. But, uh, uh, just in terms of doing the movies, for example, in a quick nutshell, uh, my fantasy was Michael Keaton Night Shift. Give me that. I want to be that. guy. I want to be a comic lead. Yeah, I want to be that guy. Not the, and then I did Av- I did Avalon, the- and then I became well. You're like a young Harvey Keitel, right? You're a dramatic actor. Yeah. Find a stand-up comedian with no formal training as an actor, who who fantasizes about having street cred as a dramatic actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm living proof of careful what you fucking wish. Yeah. Because I can't get jobs in comedies and <laughs> movies. Can't. They won't even think about me. Yeah. It's bizarre. So uh, so uh, Macaulay looks at me like an alien and I say, here's the thing. If I, I don't, I don't know how long I'm willing to wait. You know, I'm hoping if you think I'm ready now, I'm only going to get better. So let's just kind of hang in there and see how long I can hold out. Right. He said, I can't argue with you. Uh, it's not crazy. Um, okay. And and then he kind of laughed like, wow, yeah, you're insane. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, um, it took a year after uh, that. I, when I said that to him, by the way, 
to really show the balls, because I haven't had them since, I didn't have prospects for a movie or a TV show. But you were I ju- didn't have auditions for a movie or you a were TV just, show. You had just been in L.A. not long, and you'd been just working the road in the clubs in San Francisco. Yeah, I'd been working the road to be able to afford to live in L.A. and hadn't uh, really acquired an, uh, an agent. No TV exposure? Uh, no. That's fucking nuts. I mean, I was, I was, that's not true. I, I think I appeared on, uh, 30 something, an episode of 30 something. An as episode, an actor. And an episode of Who's the Boss, but had not been on uh, TV. But as no a... one knew Kevin Pollock, the impressionist, the stand up, nothing. No, no. 26 years old, you're telling, look, it's not quite right for me at this time. <laughs> I can do it. It's insane. But I'm, I, you know, it, it, but on my terms, if that's possible. A little over the year later, Willow comes out, and it's enough of a justification for him to bring me on as an actor. And I sit down next to Johnny, and I do Peter Falk within the first nine seconds. Yeah. And he pushes himself away from the desk, laughing so hard, and I'm invited back three times a year until he retires. Yeah. It was the single greatest uh, balls and out- outcome ever. Ever. Right. Ridiculous. And that established you, that relationship established you as an impressionist and a stand Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it did ultimately for my career. I think I was wrong about this is how I'm going to launch my career because it, it, it kind of fucked it up because then I was an actor first in people's minds who did impressions. Right, but, but it's interesting that... You know, as an actor, it's not easy for comics to be actors, and and you and are, most I, of them suck because no, yeah, because they're too self conscious. Yeah, and we're yeah, and we're not trained to listen. Yeah, right at all. And what? we're aware of the audience exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're aware of the audience. We know they're out there. They're setting the pace with their energy. Yeah, but we're not really listening. No, and it's clear there's a mixture between not being able to listen and also complete self consciousness. Mm-hmm. That you know, out you, of your I element. Can, every comic I've seen in movies. Uh, well, I don't want to mention names, but most of them. Chris Rock's I, horrible. But it's interesting, though, because when you talk about someone like Chris Rock, who, you know, you talk to Chris off stage, he's very quiet. Yes. Uh, he doesn't maintain a lot of eye contact. He's almost shy. You know, he's detached. Right. And, and you know, I think a lot of his energy goes into being Chris Rock. I mean, yes. that is a performance. Yes. And, you know, for him to, you know, get involved or, 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 or take on other characters, who knows? But I, most of the time... When I'm watching a comic, especially if I know them, I'm like, you know, he's he's aware of himself. Like right. there's he's not getting lost in this scene. Right. But getting, And all I could do was be real. Right, but that's it. And that's a, a rare gift. And also you sort of got this reputation or this this role of playing off larger stars. Sidekick. Right. Absolutely. Or or supportive friend or sidekick, right. the Jew on the side. As long as the leading man needs an attorney <laughs> or <laughs> or, or a friend, I will continue to work. But you had a, a like, an, a, like I was looking at the number of movies you did. It's a, a lot of fucking movies. I did, I think, 40 in the 90s. When I, well, Few Good Men in 92 was crossing the goal line where I went from auditioning to getting offers because that movie was so successful and I was the only discovery. Everybody else was crazy famous and I was the only guy with an important part for, you know, written by the great Aaron Sorkin. Uh, where the audience was like, well, who's this guy? Yeah. I don't know this guy. Yeah. And then that's, so I ended up, yeah, doing too much. But they didn't know you as a comic either no. at that time? No, and in fact, that's where, it, where all things went horribly wrong, and I became an actor to a whole generation. However people discover you is who you are. So I became, because A Few Good Men was so huge, and annoyingly continues to this day every week on TNT. Uh, but that's a $40 check for you. No. No, they buy it for a block, and I get nine cents every week. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love those checks. Yeah, dollar forty-two. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, no, no. Listen, it's great. Uh, these aren't complaints. So, so, but, but, 
but it, that's where it went horribly wrong. Where I just became an actor. But that's a complaint in the, in the sense because in my mind, when you came in here, there was there was part of me knowing what we do now and knowing who you are and 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 knowing you know what you've done. That that my question was: Is this where you wanted to be? No. Where did you want to be? In the garage next door. You can have that. You can talk to those people. They just had a baby. They need money. You want to pay? <laughs> sure. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, no, I mean, uh, oh boy. If you ever end up where you really want it to be, I, I don't even know how that happens. So did I want to be in movies? Yes. Got there. Did I want to be a stand-up comedian with some sort of ability to perform nationwide and have people pay tickets and get a babysitter to come see me? Yes. Got there. Um to tonight's show, sit next to Johnny. All you know, there was a lot of goals wildly achieved, but dramatic actor? No, that was never. That was never. I mean, Avalon was the first one before yeah. A Few Good Men, and literally overnight, for the thirteen people who saw the film, all Jews, they would say to my then wife, "Where did he train in New York? He's incredible." Yeah, and we would both laugh ourselves sick because there was no training. Yeah, none. Well, it's just, uh, Janine said that acting is just pretending. Yeah, well, it's not and getting, listening. and not getting caught pretending. Right. As you were saying, you yeah. see comedians being, well, they, I, being aware. They're, they're, we're just a self-conscious bunch. Yeah. So that was the thing for me was just don't get caught. And uh, it was on A Few Good Men, the great, great, great character actor, J.T. Walsh. Oh, he was great. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I confessed in him one day uh, around the trailer camp there saying, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing at all. I'm a comedian and I'm really skating by and, and uh, you're a master and what can you tell me? And he said, well, actually what you're doing is a technique. It's called less is more. And the other half of that is less is more, nothing is best. If you can do nothing in a scene and, and steal a little focus, well, then you win. And that's sort of been the mantra from then. So, so on some level, you did everything, but you wanted to be a comic leading man, is what you're saying. Yeah, Michael Keaton in Night Shift, uh, to me, was the the perfect world. And then, um, you know, uh, I just started doing the dramatic supporting roles, and then that's kind of what... And now the irony, all the years later, yeah. is uh, I'm rarely... A, I get a chance to be funny in a movie. Well, I'm sorry that you didn't get to do what you wanted, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> No, woe is me. Yeah, really... If it sounds like woe is <laughs> no, no, me, go fuck yourself. It doesn't. It yeah, doesn't. no. All right, so let's go back to this thing because uh, you know, as somebody, you know, I don't know, you know, what you what is what is your sense of what the the public perceives you as an actor who, For the who most does part. impressions? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, there are people of uh, my age or yours who know me from stand up, and then there's everyone under the age of thirty five who only knows me as an actor. And when I come to their town. There's repeat business, and then there's uh, a section of the audience that is 22 to 32 Yeah, that either know me from Christopher Walken on the internet or... Because as much as Jay started it, there's now 7,500 people who do Christopher Walken. And then for no apparent reason, if you Google the sentence, Christopher Walken impersonation, something of me comes up first, and then that means something in the world out there. So they'll come for that. And then The Usual Suspects is one of those bizarre films that actually generates a new audience every year in, on college campuses throughout the world. By the time you're a sophomore, if you can't speak suspects, you're a loser. And this has been a phenomenon since the mid-90s when it came out, inexplicably. But because of that, 20 to 25% of my audience are those people who only know me from that movie, and they mm -hmm. can't believe the guy from the poster on the movie is at, in, in their town. And then, you know, so they're broken up into these percentages. Yeah. 
of who the who the fuck's coming out to see. Do you it. feel that at this point, you know, I know that some people kind of misconceive um this medium. Like mm-hmm. I'm fairly honest. I mean, when I started doing a podcast, I you know, I had nothing. Uh, for whatever reason. But I mean, y- you didn't start yours out of desperation. You started it as a business opportunity on some level, right? I mean, your career is still thriving. Yeah, I, I have uh, four films on the tarmac right. that I am in. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so um, I don't know that I started as a business because I kind of knew from day one that there wasn't going to be any money in it. Well, I mean, but I mean, I'm just saying that you're not, you know, you're still doing well. You I started out. it as a f- on a lark right. kind of thing, and then right. it took over my life. Right. Well, that, yeah. And now it feels, as I'm sure for you, that it's, it's. Um, I, I haven't felt a part of something in a, a frontier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ever sure. in my yeah, career. Yeah. No, it's very exciting. so. In yeah. that regard, right. Uh, as a fourth phase of my career, uh, it, I've never felt younger and more alive working on this and also podcast in control of your own thing. Not since stand-up have we had control over every creative aspect right. of, a, of a thing we've ever done in show business. And we don't have to change it. Nope. Unless we want to. Yeah. You I, know, even when you're stand-up, it's sort of like, you know, you got to deal with the one little Napoleon who's, you know, deciding whether you should go on stage saying like, yeah, maybe you should do a little something with the other thing. Right. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Can't work here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that. Right. I want to talk about this moment with Rich Little, because that to me sounds like an important moment. Well, it it was. It was. I was 17. uh, He was coming to the Circle Star Theater, and um, I decided I was going to prove myself to the the great impressionist of the day, Rich Little. He was the master. He uh, was in a TV show called The Copycats, where impressionists were featured, and uh, it was a really big deal. And um, I went to the show dressed up as... Columbo, Lieutenant Columbo, Peter Falk's character from television, and I waited. I know who it was for the was for the thirteen people Sorry. of your massive audience who yeah. wasn't sure. Um, so I went I, dressed as him. I can't imagine what the other people thought in my row. First mm-hmm. of all, because it wasn't like Comic Con. Right? There's no reason for someone no to be one did dressed that up. Then. No, they a really lunatic. <laughs> a lunatic. Only, up. yeah. Only someone with something wrong. Right. Not a seventeen-year-old bright kid, which I alleged to be. So I waited for the right moment. It took a while to find a moment in his act where I could get up from my seat, go down on the stage. Yeah. Because I just, I thought if I could, if he could see the impression. Yeah. Me doing it. Yeah. He would say, oh my goodness. Uh, this guy. I, I need to take you to show business. Yeah. After the show. Come get, with me. Get on my jet. Because <laughs> Rich Little has one of those. <laughs> get on my jet and let's go to show business. Yeah. That was the fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I was smoking pot pretty much every day at that point anyways, so you understand these kind of fantasies. So uh, he, I, I waited about 40 minutes or so in his act when he finished this big long thing and he was, the audience was applauding mm-hmm. and he had a towel and he was, you know, drying his forehead. Yeah. And I got up from my seat and I had the overcoat, mm-hmm. right, which I'd borrowed from my friend, his dad. And I got up from my seat and the overcoat still had the belt in it. You know those, sure. uh, right? Yeah. So the belt sticks in the chair oh. and stops me. So now you're real from getting up. Yeah, think about that moment. Yeah, I've gathered the courage yeah. to come to the show. I've got a little stubby cigar that's smoked and looked. I mean, I'm really. It's Halloween. Yeah, and the the belt stops me when I feel my moment is now, and I've got four seconds to get down to the stage yeah, before yeah. he potentially starts talking it. And the belt stops me, and. I didn't even stop and hesitate and ponder it. Yeah. I yanked the belt from the overcoat and raced down the, the uh, path to the stage. 
And he's got his back to me, and the audience's applause is coming down and uh, too quiet. And my voice because they're like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Well, they were applauding his routine. Okay. So that as the applause was dying down, I arrived at the side of the stage, and you hear as the applause dies down, this lone voice saying, "Mr. Little, pardon me, sir. Mr. Little, I'm sorry, sir. I hate to bother you." <laughs> and he turns around and says, oh my goodness, Lieutenant Colombo. And he walks over to the side of the stage and he says, hello, Lieutenant, what can I do for you? And he puts the mic in my face. I was not prepared for that. I thought I would either be waved to or, or, walked, or, out. or, or walked out. Yeah. So he comes over and gives me the mic. Yeah. And I say, oh my, Mr. Little, very sorry to bother you, sir. And he takes the mic back and then he starts doing Colombo. Uh, within three seconds, it became clear to not just me, but him also, that there was a reason he had never done Colombo before. It was not in his wheelhouse, and it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was horrible instantly. So he thrust the mic back into my face. Now, because he at the time was a hero, my, uh, uh, the hero had failed in front of me, and now my Colombo goes up an octave and is horrible also. This all happens within seconds, and it's only clear between he and I what's going on. Mm. I'm just letting you know the inner thoughts, the turmoil, the torture of the 17-year-old kid standing there. Yeah. So he could mic back to me, mine's horrible, and then he takes the mic back and says, hey, you know what, Columbo, come on up here. This buying me time to gather my thoughts as I walk around on the side stage, onto the stairs. Now the audience of 2,000 people are roaring applause as I walk onto the stage, and now for the first and only time in my life, haven't had it since. I have tunnel vision where I just see him. It's never happened since. I can't even explain it. I know the audience is there, but I just literally can only see him. Yeah. And uh, I'm walking. And by the way, again, none of this was even in my fantasy that yeah. I'd be on stage with him. Yeah. So, and I'd not been on a stage. I'm 17. I'd not been on a stage doing Peter Falk in front of 2,000 people, let alone standing next to a hero. Yeah. Uh, there has got to be shit in my pants. Has to be. Yeah. I don't recall it, but there has to be. So yeah, yeah television. I get close enough to him, and he says, "What can I do for you, Lieutenant?" And now um, I say, "Well, sir, let me explain. Uh, the missus and me, we were planning to come to the show for six months since we read in the paper you were coming to town." <laughs> And at the last second, she gets sick and she can't make the show. And she tells me that if I don't get your autograph, she's not letting me back in the house. So please. With this, I hand him a pen and a piece of paper, yeah. which I brought to get his autograph should that happen after yeah. the show. He takes the pen and paper, unscrews the pen as if it's a felt pen, puts the bottom in the top, and says to the audience while doing that, uh, this guy better watch out or I'll do Rin Tin Tin and he'll be the tree. So let's stop and put a pin in the story for a moment, if we can, and uh, and ask ourselves why Rich Little chose that moment to do uh, Heckler Comeback Line 17 w after he brought me up on stage. Not only Heckler Comeback Line 17, but Date yourself in, in, with in 1930. Rin Tin Tin. <laughs> yeah. Not even, not even uh, what was the other dog show that was- Lassie. Lassie, not even Lassie, which would have made sense. He goes back to the 30s. Yeah. And why am I, am I a heckler now? You yeah. invited me onto your stage. Well, he, well, he did the classic sort of like, I'm going to you know, take advantage. I'm going to you know, bury this guy. Yeah. So this he kid. gets a huge laugh off of that sure. while he's doing the thing. Because the, the audience is 100. Yes. Yeah. And so I, as Peter Falk, I say, oh, that's hilarious. Sir. I wish my wife could have seen that. And now he goes to sign the uh, autograph, but he's got the back of the middle copper piece that holds yeah. the ink because it's a pick pen I gave him and it, now mm -hmm. it's inside out. And he says, look at this, Columbo gave me a broken pen. 
which is perfect for the character. So I said, I'll mark it. I do that. I'm sorry, sir. Yeah. And then he says, I'll tell you what, Columbo, why don't you come back after the show and I'll give you the uh, autograph. You, you got to get back into the house. Ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Columbo. And I take a huge bow and I sit down and he is the greatest living human being on, that's ever lived as I watch the remainder of the act. Now I know for certain, you heard him, Larry. I say to my friend who I brought with me, come backstage after the show. You know I'm getting on the jet and we're going to show business. Sure. I'll see you whenever, Larry. Yeah, should have brought you and I will never speak again. Yeah. Because I'm going to show business and you're dead to me now. Yeah. So I uh, sit to the act, I go backstage afterwards, and here's where the story gets real again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I by the time I get backstage, there's already twenty people in line. Yeah. What do you think the seventeen year old who had the balls to dress up, go down on the stage to interrupt a man's act and then share the stage with him? What do you think that seventeen year old does when he gets backstage and sees a line of twenty people? Does he march up to the front, say, Hi, you remember me, I'm just gonna go up there and uh, he's gonna take me to show business? Does he stand in line and wait for an autograph at the back of the line? Or does he uh kind of stand there and not sure what to do i think you go to the front of the line <laughs> that's what present day me does the 17 year old me who had all those balls yeah. got at the back of the line uh-huh. and waited so now i'm seeing people in front of me and they're getting an autograph from rich little and they're so picture this on your radios he's approaching people approaching him to his right he's taking the pen uh, he's got a pen he's yeah. taking whatever it is they want him to sign and as they pass in front of him moving to his left he says hi what's your name and they say pete mm-hmm. he signs it there you go, Pete. Thanks a lot. And back to the next person on his yeah. right. Hi, what's your name? Yeah. Debbie. There you go, Debbie. Thanks for coming out. Hi, what's your name? Uh, Larry. Thanks for coming out, Larry. And then he sees me and he, and he says, hey, there he is. And takes the thing from my hand and sign. what's your name? Uh, it's Kevin. There you go. And I'm shuffled off the buffalo like the guy, like the three people in front of me. And he's back to the next person to his right. Hi, what's your name? Phil. There you go, Phil. That's what happened to the 17-year-old who shared the stage with Rich Little, who sat there for 30 minutes after his act, knowing full well, oh my God, could you believe he brought me on stage? And goodbye, Larry, we'll never talk again. I'm going to show. But in retrospect, do you fault him for that? In retrospect, I never let someone who's dressed up come to my show. It's never happened, but if it did, but, I, mean, he was I would not bring them on he stage. He was generous. So he was insanely generous. Yeah. He didn't actually bring me on stage to rip me apart. It was just that one no, no, line. No, right, right. You As know, it you, turns out, it was just that one line. I mean, the he, the only other way he could handle it would be like, what? look at this guy. Yeah. Who the hell? But you're a kid. And he's not going to do that. And by the way- And he knew instinctively yes. that you bring a kid on stage, right. even if you sucked, he would have been a magnanimous guy. Exactly. I I didn't realize that it was that it was self-serving. And that it was the best way to get out of it, uh, whatever this thing was that he had brought attention to. Did you meet him later, ever? Side of the stage. Oh, yeah. Of course. Did you bring that up? Yeah. And? Uh, no recollection. He 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 <laughs> pretended to remember, <laughs> and it, but it had been 20 years. Uh, so I didn't fault him for my belief that he did not remember. But well, Along those lines, yeah. uh, it's a great story. But having had the opportunity to work with all these great actors, and uh, and also having the opportunity to meet your heroes... You know, was there a particular moment where, you know, outside, because the, the talk about, you know, the, the shop talk around you and Dana and, and the, the the knowledge of impressions and, and, and you know, rendering them down and all that stuff, that's right. interesting. But was there a moment where outside of that moment as a grown performer, mm. you know, the J.T. Walsh moment aside, where, you know, you talked to Alan King, you talked to Don Rickles, you talked to one of these guys that that blew your mind in a way where it answered some question for you? You know, because there's obviously a difference. You, you, you know, these guys, 
you know, like Alan King, who you watched when you were a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and he's been hammering it out and hammering it out. Did you ever have a moment where your where your mind was blown because you met one of these guys? Uh, Rickles, yeah, much more so. Um, well, King was kind of a douchebag, especially if you ask Don uh, uh, Rickles, yeah. Because we would go out to dinner and he would say, ah, oh, is King coming? You know, it was like, this is hilarious. It was so funny to me. Uh, why did you invite him? You know, it was that thing. Uh, did, oh, I'd say, I was just talking with Alan and he'd say, did he mention the Kennedys? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. that sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. knee jerk that you yeah, knew, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, these guys yeah, have a 50 year history. Yeah, yeah. But Rickles confided in me that he, you know, because he was a hero of mine early when I saw him in Kelly's Heroes when I was a teenager, because it was a stand up comedian doing a dramatic sure. role. And I thought, that could never happen, um, and I, it blew my mind. So I confessed, you know, I, I shared that with him, and then he said, kid, I don't know what I'm doing here, you know. I mean, Scorsese, this is ridiculous. And he said, however, I did find out that De Niro has worshipped me since he was a kid. Apparently, when he was growing up in New York, there were two types of fear groups. There was the doo-wop group. You stood around a circle with your friends, and you sang songs. Yeah. And then there was the put-down group. You stand around a circle, and you say, your mother this, your mother yeah. that. And believe it or not, De Niro was in one of those groups. The yeah. shy, ridiculous guy yeah. who can't say two words was in one of those groups. <laughs> this is what Rickles is telling me. Guy. Yeah, this is how Rickles <laughs> boils down De Niro. So then to watch, <laughs> yeah. So as a comedian, you know, to hear that from Mount Rushmore yeah. was remarkable. Yeah. And then it, to see it on the set. Yeah. Because Rickles basically was telling me in that moment, I own De Niro. Yeah. And then to see him rip into him, I'm talking about on the casino floor, one of those scenes, hundreds of extras, De Niro saying his dialogue, standing next to Rickles, middle of the scene, cameras yeah. rolling, yeah. Scorsese's watching, yeah. middle of the shot, yeah. Rickles would interrupt. Is that the way you're going to do it? Like that? <laughs> no, no, you got the awards. I'm sure you know what you're doing. Go ahead. And... Every mouth agape, not a sound heard until they see De Niro laughing. <laughs> it was one of those moments. Literally, wait till the king laughs. And then De Niro would weep like a child from laughter. It was his greatest joy in life. <laughs> you will never see De Niro this happy. Being insulted by Don Rickles. Ever. You'll never see him. That. And, and, and then, now it's over for Don. Now he can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Another scene in the movie is when my character presents a mock-up check as yeah, a movie casino yeah. to Alan King's character. And it's a mo- moment in front of... 80 people portraying the press, extras. Yeah. So we're waiting for De Niro to come to set, and there's these dais tables, and it's me, Alan King, and Don Rickles with 80 extras sitting in yeah. front of us while we wait for De Niro to get to the set. And after 10 minutes of waiting, Rickles has got a microphone in front of him on the dais table. He's got a captive audience of 80 extras. He's bored. And so he starts laying into these 80 extras like... A master. Mm-hmm. What do you people make forty dollars a day and bad fish off a truck? Good for you. <laughs> and he's hammering them for maybe fifteen minutes. Yeah. And it's some of the fastest, most brilliant improvising you will ever see. Yeah. Uh, and, and and he's already in his seventies. So uh, Rickles had sort of finished with the extras, yeah. and he had he'd run his course, and he had finally decided he was done and tired, and he leaned back into his chair for maybe a minute, yeah. and then De Niro walked yeah. on, and Rickles lunged back at the mic, yeah. grabbing it, yelling at the extras, all right, which one of you said he's gay? He's here now. Say it to his face. <laughs> and then again, De Niro stops <laughs> and weeps with laughter. And it's these, these are the greatest moments I think I've ever, ever been 
privy to a hero. It's a great kind of triangle. More, more than yeah. De Niro talking to me, well, they, right. it was Rickles doing that in front of well, me. That, well, that's the amazing thing that he, there's a, a weird, you know, when you watch those roasts, there was a weird roast where uh, one of the Dean Martin roasts. That, Reagan? No, that, that Rickles hosted. I think it was a roast of Dean. It seemed like there'd just be a celebrity audience. I don't know what it is. But there were moments where... He, you know, he was able to ride this line where, you know, he clearly you know, had a certain amount of rage and focus and some of that shit cut deep. Absolutely. And there were moments where you're like, holy fuck. He's getting to say what everyone's thinking. Right. But it's a risk. I mean, like that moment where no one knew what De Niro was going to laugh. I mean, that was he did that a lot. Yes. Where the, the audience time. was literally like, I, you know, <laughs> this could not go well. Yeah. Wait, is this yeah De Niro could literally do an about face and walk off set. Right. Or the one with Muhammad Ali where you remember the roast of Muhammad Ali and, 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 you know, Rickles got up there and it got a little racial and there was this moment where I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah. This and, is... and then it, it, it sort of relieves itself because of right. his humility of some kind right. that he has. Oh, this shy, ridiculous guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It really was beautiful. It was so beautiful and that is and uh, awesome. and almost effortless too at the same time. Well, that's a great one. And now, okay, so this Lenny Bruce, what was? Well, that here's exactly? the deal. Uh, I I did a movie. It's called The Big Year with uh, Steve Martin, Jack Black, Owen Wilson, Rashida Jones, Angelica Houston, Diane, uh-huh. Diane Weiss, Joe McHale. They couldn't get anyone. Yeah, sounds like a stretch. Terrible independent film, right? No uh-huh. money. No money at all. Yeah. <laughs> My scenes are me and Joe McHale hounding Steve Martin. Kind of the way that Goldblum and Harry Shearer hounded uh, in the right in stuff. The right stuff. Yeah. I just had Your Harry, comedy ten, I just team. had Harry on the chat show, by the way. That was pretty fucking great. Yeah. Loved spending two hours with, with him. He's great. Um, so uh, while we're shooting, Joe McHale says, do you think uh, we could have lunch with Steve Martin? Do you think that's possible? And I said, first of all, get away from me. Uh, and second of all, no, no, you don't, you don't. <laughs> Your name again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't talk to Steve. And in fact, you should stop talking to me. Um, uh, so we eventually, and you know, I'd worked with Steve years and years and years before in LA story, very early in my career. And even then I'm just not one of these guys who hounds famous people and tries to hang out with them on the set of a movie. Right. I'm still waiting for people to tap me on the shoulder and say, we've made a horrible error. Mm -hmm. We meant Kevin Spacey. They're not supposed to be. Yeah. But please help yourself to the buffet. (laughs) Yeah. Have a buffet and get out. Uh, so, uh, but, but this time around, uh, Steve was, uh, extremely, uh, friendly. And so we ended up having a couple of lunches together. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, finished the film. Uh, we had exchanged emails. Uh, Joel McHale and I got Steve on Twitter. That's why Steve Martin's now on Twitter actually. And so he, he emails me saying, I was just talking with my longtime friend, James Taylor. He's hosting the 120th anniversary at Carnegie Hall and it's kind of a tribute night. So Sting's going to be there doing, uh, some Beatles stuff and um, Bette Midler's going to do some Sophie Tucker, and I'm going to do some of this, and so on. And uh, uh, James Taylor mentioned to me he wanted to do a little tribute to Lenny Bruce. He didn't know where to start, how to have that happen. Didn't know if there's anybody out there doing Lenny after all these years. And so Steve says, I suggested to him, I just worked with this comedian who does impressions, Kevin Pollack, is also an actor, so he can kind of make it a thing. Um, so he says in the email, Kevin, there's nothing for you to do, but wait to see if James calls you. Yeah. And eventually, I get a call from James Taylor, who I'd never met. And he says, hey, man, Steve said you could maybe do this, and um, I don't really know where to begin if you want to listen to some of Lenny's stuff and figure out what might be right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so he says, get together with Steve. Maybe he can help. And I, you know, it's one of those things where, there's an old thing with actors where if a director says to you at an audition, do you horseback ride? Yeah. You say, I have a saddle in the trunk. 
You know, there's no, there's no, worry about it later. Yeah. So when James Taylor said, can you do this? I said, well, of course, yeah. of course I can do this. Yeah. Um, I had uh, listened uh, to Lenny Bruce uh, a lot, but 25 years ago. Sure, to, in, to figure out what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, when I was a fan of his, it was yeah. from 25 sure. years ago, and it was the early stuff. And it was already long after the fact of Lenny Bruce, in a way. Yeah, Even sure. for you, it must be. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, so I call uh, Steve, and I say, yeah, great, fucko, now what? And he says, well, first of all, you should probably do one of the funny bits. And I said, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. The thing is, is that James said he, he only wants it to be four or five minutes long. And he said, the hard part for you might be that it needs to kind of end on a punchline because you don't want to be on stage at Carnegie Hall and not end on a big laugh. So James he said, and, and, and Lenny's no, no. stuff on the albums tends to meander. There's really no ending. There's no buttons. There's That's no right. That's right. punchlines. Yeah. Um, the stories are hilarious throughout, right, right? But he said, "So you got to keep those things in mind." So, and then I went to the video catalog out yeah. there available of early Lenny, and there's so little Steve available. Allen. Yeah, the, the appearances. Yeah, it, only Steve Allen. Right. And so, um, I got to the swagger and the head movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the way he kind of held himself yeah. a little, and. Um, Throughout all the albums, the only thing I could find that hit that criteria ended up being where he talked about an, uh, gearing up to do an appearance on, on Steve Allen, and they wouldn't let him do the uh, tattoo uh, on his arm thing. Because um, he, uh, I don't know if you remember the bit, but he said, I want to tell you about uh, Steve Allen's show. I did the show twice. Uh, I had a bug with the show, man. Uh, they wouldn't let me tell the story. I got a tattoo. You know, it's real. It's not a cockamamie. It doesn't come off. Uh, and because of this tattoo, I can never be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Uh, it's just the way they swing. You know, you got to go out of the world the way you came in. No marks, no changes. Which certainly belies the whole rabbi philosophy. Uh, which I later, in the act when I did it at Carnegie Hall, changed to Moyle. Because yeah. rabbi at the time, because the audience laughs on the record... Might have made sense in the '60s, but now I thought I think he means Moyle because you can't go. Well, you got even missing a even piece. a circumcision yeah. Yeah. technically would be wrong. So that was the only thing I changed. Obviously, I'm not going to change another syllable. And, and it got a huge laugh, as it should have, the way it was intended. And there was these jazz references yeah. in his his rhythm, of course, that you well know that um, using words like "bug" and "bug." I had a real bug with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to "it bugged me." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, I, you know, I, I had this tattoo, and uh, and uh, I'm at my uh, aunt's in Jamaica, and I'm at the sink at one point. And my sleeves rolled up, and she sees the tattoo, and she freaks out. You know, she pins the tattoo, and she meh, She's like a Jewish seagull, this woman. You know, <laughs> you can't get buried in a Jewish cemetery. You ruined it. So he's acting out characters in the act, in the mm -hmm. bit, you know. So that's one of the reasons I sort of honed in. He said, so the guy at the Steve Allen show, the censor, he says, you can't do, I'm sorry, Lenny, you can't do the bit on the show. And I said, well, why not, man? He says, because it's offensive to, to, uh, to Jewish people. And I said, well, then I'm not doing the show. And he said, because eh. apparently no one ever said this to this guy, <laughs> you know. So they go off for an hour and leave me in the corner like a leper with a bell on my neck. And they finally come back and they said, all right, Lenny, we talked it over. And uh, it's definitely offensive to the non-Jewish people as well. And I said, well, how's that, man? And he says, because what you're basically saying is 
that the Gentiles don't care what they bury. Uh, now, of course, that's the ending of the bit. Yeah. Earlier in the bit, which I now I realize I ruined, he says to his aunt in Jamaica when she says, "You can't be buried in Jewish cemetery." He says, "Relax, we'll just cut this part off and bury it in a Gentile cemetery." <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. So that's the reason. For, but I just jumped ahead. Did it kill? Yeah, well, it was a performance piece. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure I wasn't on stage trying to get laughs off Lenny's act. Right. And I wanted to make sure it was kind of done as a performance tribute. But it, that it ended on the punchline. Right. And so what was nice is, is that they said, first of all, it was my first time at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. So imagine that ridiculousness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Steve says, you know, Steve Martin says, you know, we should go to lunch earlier in the day and figure out how for me how, what's the best way for me to introduce you because he said i want the audience to see you as you first a little bit standing with me talking about lenny maybe talking about you doing impersonations rather than you just coming out yeah. and doing this he wanted to protect me i realized which yeah. was kind of amazing and cool so at lunch he says he says i'm going to do this thing before you come out where we talk about there were great comedians that performed at Carnegie Hall. And the, behind me on the wall there, they're going to have these giant photos of Bob Hope and George Carlin and, and all the, you know. Yeah. And uh, they have a little picture of me in the corner with the rabbit ears. And at, sure enough, at rehearsal, he says, do you have a smaller one? Because the joke was it was really tiny yeah, already. Yeah. Um, and he wanted it to be actually smaller. Uh, so he said, so then I'll say, uh, there was a very famous show here, a midnight show uh, that Lenny Bruce did. Um, and it was a snowstorm and no one thought actually that anyone would come out and the place was packed and it was a, kind of a great moment in his career. And, and so uh, we wanted to try to recreate some of that for you here tonight. I have a friend of mine, uh, you know him as an actor, he's also a comedian, does great impressions. Let's have him come out. Kevin Pollock and I come out. Now it's my first time on stage at Carnegie Hall, as I said. And I'd known about this for months and months, but it didn't dawn on me until I'm in the shower three hours before this that I'm about to use Carnegie Hall as open mic night <laughs> because I'm about to do a routine You've never done before. that I've never done in front of an audience. You fucking moron. I mean, I'm working on it around the house. My girlfriend sees it once. That's it for her. And she just sees me walking by doing a sentence. Yeah. She doesn't need to see it. She's bored with anything I do. Right. So that's ridiculous. And then it's just me in the shower and me walking around the house. That's it. Now I'm about to walk out on stage at Carnegie Hall and do this for the first. Because at rehearsal over in the day, they go, do you want to rehearse it? And I said, no. There's nine crew members sitting in the audience. That's not the memory I want in my head right yeah. before I go on stage later. Right. The nine guys sitting in the audience bored right. while I'm working this out for your cameras. Because they were shooting it for prosperity. You know. So Steve says, uh, so I, when I walk out on stage, I want to relax my ass a little. So I use the old line. Uh, I walk out and the audience is applauding. Uh, and I say, please be seated. And of course, no one was standing. Yeah. So it's funny. Yeah. But it allows me to get a laugh yeah. as myself. Yeah, so you And then Steve says, well, Kevin, um, uh, people here know you as an actor, but they also may not, uh, some of them may know that you, uh, you do, of course, do impersonations. And then I launch into Christopher Walken without him asking. Yeah. And I say, yes, Steve, it's great to be here tonight, standing here with you especially. I'm excited. I wish I could dance. I'm the hoofer at hot. I kick it old school. And the audience is laughing. And Steve says, would you mind doing one for us now? <laughs> <laughs> right? Amazing. Fantastic. And then I, and then I launch. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Audience roars. And yeah. I, then I go, 
And I said, well, actually, I like to do kind of different ones, esoteric maybe, like Alan Arkin. And he says, oh, Alan Arkin, really? And I, and I do a little Alan Arkin. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting up there, Steve. I can barely see the show. I'm up in the rafters. Um, I would like, if it's possible, to get moved. <laughs> Audience is laughing. And he says, well, have you ever, um, have you ever, and he's pointing to himself with both hands. And he says, have you ever done somebody really famous? Mm-hmm. And I say, uh, oh, right. Now that I think of it, I, ne- I have never seen anyone impersonate you before. And he said, no, they haven't. And I said, well, I wouldn't, and this is all worked out at lunch, by the way. Yeah. This is what we do on stage. Well, I wouldn't take it personal, Steve, you know, because usually the person has to have a very identifiable, um, um, and he said, career? I said, uh, personality. Mm. And then that got a big laugh. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Pollack. And he walks off stage. And he gave me one great suggestion, which was when I walk off stage, instead of turning back to them and launching into Lenny, because that's what the plan was. Watch me walk off stage, and then we'll have a lighting change, and then move your move your body uh, slightly, like just change your physical chemistry before you turn back towards the audience, just for a nanosecond, yeah, so that they see some kind of subliminal transformation, and then turn towards them and start talking as Lenny. And he was one hundred percent correct. It was an amazing. He had protected me. Like, I hope I get a chance to f- for someone else. It was really astounding. That's great. And, um, yeah, it was just freakish. And it went off good? Yeah, because there was no pressure to, like I said, to, Establish. to get laughs right, you're off in. of Lenny's yeah, act. Right. It really was a tribute to him. And I had worked out the head movements and the banter. And it had been so long since anyone had seen Lenny perform. Right. Uh, chances are they really didn't remember what he sounded like anyways. Right, but you, you felt they were engaged. In- right. That's Cause, great because it was his act. Great story. Yeah, I want to ask you real quick. I have to. I just. I actually have to go to an audition. I don't go to many. You know, I have like a few lines. What do I do? What What, what do you what do? Would, what would you like me to? How can I help? Well, I mean, I, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit of a cold read. The guy's angry. He's a, a political consultant. Um, he's really, you know, high energy. You know, clearly uh, an angry guy, um, and kind of an asshole. I yeah, don't see I, how you could, why you would yeah, get called I mean, in. How do this. I play this? Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I wouldn't go. Mm. I wouldn't go. I tried to. It's not in you. Yeah. To be any of those things. When you go into an audition, do you just, what, what, I mean, honestly, honestly. In this case, uh, all you need to do is believe the words that are written and then just literally go in as you. Am I already fucked that I don't know, haven't committed to memory? No. Because you're going to hold the pages in your hand. Anyway. Do not make the mistake of pretending you've you got it memorized. Hold the pages. Let them see that. And I just got this, guys. Sorry. If that comes out of you, that's great. Yeah. It takes all the pressure off having right. it to be. Wor- and so that way you can look down at the page. Right. Anyways. Right. Which you should do. Right. And then it's really about your personality. They don't expect per- perfect performance there. They, they just really want to don't. feel something. They want to see your energy, man. They want, in fact, if you could treat it like you're on stage and doing your act, yeah. honestly, because it sounds like it's this, a very similar energy, and that's why your agent wants you to go into this because it's a bit of a no-brainer. Right. So then, by the way, it's going to come down to, and this I didn't really lo- know until I got on the other side of the audition. It's going to come down they to are, three guys turning it down. They already know what they want. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, sure. They know the guy that's they so, want. They, know, they yeah. know what they want. Yeah, that's the only reason you're in the door. Is the, the, the offer they made fell flat. Let's be clear. That's the only way that I get. Uh, so, so yeah, so they've, already, they've already made up their mind right. what they want. Mm-hmm. They're already either fans of yours or they're not. Right. So there's nothing for you to prove. You just got to go there and be, and be you. Thank you, man. Seriously. And, and thanks for talking. I'm going to do that. Yeah. All right, buddy. 
That's it. I hope that was enough Jewish uh, entertainer for you between him and I, Kevin Pollack. I, I find him uh, very charming and very entertaining and very fun and funny. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, please go to WTFPod.com and get some merch, kick in some shekels, get the app for iPhone, iPad, Droid, your computer. Check out some merch, new t-shirts, posters still left, the coop poster still left, great gift, I'll sign it for you. My CDs, justcoffee.coop, all of it, right there. Oh, I already did this shit my pants in earlier, all right? I don't have anything left in me. I'm drained of it all. Exhausted. Boomy. Boomer. Come on, man, when are we going to do this again? You can't just do the end of two shows and then, like, split. I know you got nerves. I know you're nervous. Is it my tone? Boomy. Over. All right, fuck it. It'll happen again, I swear. I gotta go.